Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Block Church online community. We're so glad you're with us today. My name is Jamie Paw, and I serve on the elder board here at the Block Church. In every physical location, our location pastors are interviewing someone today who has overcome addiction. And online, we're gonna do the same. We have the privilege of having our very own Pastor Matt Leckie, who's gonna share his story, how he has been victorious over addiction. Pastor Matt, welcome, sir. Thanks, man. Elder Jamie, brother Jamie. What do I even call you as an elder? What's your sir title? Elder will work. Not Sir Jamie? No. I like, not been I like knighted. honoring <laughs> my authority. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, if it, did, you, did you gain like 10 years of De- age when you became an elder? The moment they gave me the title, I immediately was 20 years older. Oh, wow. So your hairline was much further up when you started mm-hmm. then. So what's that it mean? was, it was. Thanks for calling that out. As a bald <laughs> man, I can make bald jokes. You're, that- you're extra bald, though. <laughs> it's my choice. Okay. I chose this life. I'm choosing to keep what I have for as long (laughs) as I possibly can. Hang on to it. I didn't get to make the choice. It was taken from me. Just just a bad barber ruined my life, but here we are. All right. Before we lose everyone, (laughs) we should probably get into the thick of this. So let's talk about, uh, tell us, remind everyone online what you actually do around here. You're questioning what I do. Tell everyone what you actually do. Fair enough. I'm the location pastor of our Northeast location. I actually came to Philadelphia just to be a part of this church. Initially, I was actually hired as family pastor. So I oversaw the kids, youth, all that stuff. And then somehow along the way, got convinced to do this. And here I am five years later at the block as location pastor of our Northeast location. But I love it. it. I love it, man. You know, it's crazy. I actually moved my family from Oklahoma at the time to Philadelphia just to be a part of this church. I've been a part of a bunch of different churches, different sizes, and you know, the mission of reviving every block. You have the you have the strength of a large church without losing the intimacy of a small church in terms of reaching people, having community. I could not be a part of it. So after one visit, my family and I moved all the way up here just to be a part of this mission. Uh, tell us, how was the transition? How was it moving from the Midwest to the Northeast? I mean, it's very different, but for me, it felt like a match made in heaven. I like a city environment so much better. I was never really Never really was felt at home in like the suburbs. And I was on staff at a very country church for a while. Definitely didn't feel at home there. I'm thankful for my time, thankful for what God taught me there. But I felt like Philly has been a match made in heaven for me in personality. For my wife, it was a little different. Um, like initially, it was much more culture shock for sure. I mean, you're not used to having your neighbors attached to your house in the Midwest. And we moved right into a row home and we had all the neighbors there, but it's been great. The people of Philadelphia are incredible. We love our community. And so that's honestly what's made this transition made so much easier out the gate because we created new family when coming here. So it's made it really easy. We've had another child since living here. We've really made it home. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, today we have an important topic uh, that we're going to dive into, and I know you have an amazing story of victory over addiction. So 
there's many people watching and there's many different addictions that people struggle with. But for you, your addiction was pornography. So will you tell us a little bit more about your struggle? Um, and yeah, let's jump in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been free from pornography for about nine years now. Um, but there was a significant season of my life where it absolutely was an addiction. What kind of happened was like I grew up in a, in a very safe home, very great, loving family. Um, and so it was also a very structured and very, um, uh, a very structured environment. So there wasn't a lot of exposure to a lot of things. And I'm thankful um, for that. What happened, though, was when I got to college, um, that structure was gone. It was, everything was on me. I could do whatever I want. I could, you know, hang out and do all those things. And, um, it's what started off as a curiosity became a perpetual struggle. Mm. Um, cause that's literally how it happened. I mean, you kind of, you're in a new world, you're able to do things. And so what started off as, you know, lingering on, on things on like just social media, uh, it was a slow, but steady pull to more and more things. And, what happened was, is I went from, you know, just kind of viewing things passively to suddenly I knew there wasn't really a line of where I would get in trouble or where um, anything would happen to me in my immediate thought. And so I just found myself wandering further and further online. And I found it started taking more and more of my time. And there was a point where, again, it was a passive a, I guess, intrigue that where it became an addiction is where I started to find myself. It was something I was thinking about when I was not at home. It was something I was thinking about elsewhere. It got to a point where I was changing my plans in order to find time to view pornography, to find time to uh, be alone where I knew nobody would see me, where I could, you know, indulge this. And so it it started to become a thing in my life. But what was interesting is that no point in the time that I was doing it was I ever proud of it. The interesting thing about this was that the first time I looked at pornography, I was immediately filled with shame and regret. And I was like, oh, this is, this is bad. I, I should not be looking at this. This doesn't, it doesn't even feel right. And I knew that from the moment I began. But that didn't necessarily deter because it just kind of consumed my mind. And so as I kept going, I would then have like these moments of, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? I've got to, I, I can't, I mean, you know, I'm not anymore. I can't tell you how many, how many times I said, I was like, that's it. I'm done. Forget this. I'm never looking at this again. I hate it. Right. And I would just tell myself, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to do it. Just to a week later, find myself in the exact same pattern as soon as as soon as I was like bored, as soon as I was stressed. Because what I didn't understand at the time is what, again, I kind of wandered into carelessly, I started using to meet a need that I had. I didn't have like this big trauma or anything, but what I found is I had a hard time coping with stress and boredom. Those were two things that I did not really have to face. And pornography became the way I addressed stress and boredom. And I'm in college, so I would have a lot of both. And so I would get stressed about, you know, homework and stressed about relationship stuff or whatever. And I'd find that this thing became an escape for me because it was a cheap thrill. It was an easy out. And again, you'd end up with all this downtime too. And so it then became a pattern that I taught myself 
how to cope with pain. And so, again, it just kept progressing with time. It became this thing that I would cling to whenever I would struggle with anything. And whenever I would do that, I would then hate myself that much more. And it just kept me in this vicious cycle. And that's really when it became a true addiction because it became my coping method. It became the thing I would do even when I hated it. It became the thing I would look at um, even when, or I would think about looking at even when I wasn't in an environment where one even could. It took over a secret part of my life for, for a while. And even into my marriage, I thought for a long time, I was like, well, I'll just, I'll get married, you know? And, you know, my wife and I, we, we waited to have sex until we got married. And I thought, that'll be it, you know? I'll have endless, you know, I'll have a, a sexual rampage. It'll be this ridiculous, which of course is foolishness, but, you know, you know, going into marriage, I thought that would fix my problem. But the sexuality part of it wasn't the thing that I was using it for. And so even though after I got, you know, even after we had been married, I was free from it for like a month or two Hmm. before I found it creeped back into my life. It was a sneaky thing that despite my hatred of it, kept finding its way. I kept wandering back into it. Yeah. The brain is such a powerful uh, thing that God created and our brain it relates things, it correlates mm-hmm. things. So for you, what, I, what I'm hearing is in, in those alone times, in that stress time, eventually you created a pathway, right? Your mm-hmm. pathway, you created this pathway that says when I'm alone or when I'm bored or when I'm in secret, when I'm in the quiet, when I'm in the dark, when nobody's around me, this is what I do, and that's what happens. And mm-hmm. I've heard the analogy about our neuropathways that eventually some pathways you know, they just become so wide, mm-hmm. right? And it's like somebody's walked on it. It's it's a muddied pathway, right? You mm-hmm. just, and then other ones, uh, you know, the grass is still there. It's a little greener. There's not much that's happened. And in order to change uh, what's happening in your life and in your mind, you've got to choose a new pathway. And the mm-hmm. great thing about the brain is you can actually do that. It's right? true. You can create a new neural pathway. It's true. Um, it, it's What's interesting to me is that you tried to create the new pathway and that was in marriage, but it crept back in. Mm-hmm. What was it about the addiction uh, that brought you back? For me, it was that there was still a need that I had in my life that I used the addiction to fix. So it wasn't just the absence from the use of it that gave me any freedom. I had to teach myself how to cope with certain things. Because the pathways that I had seared in my brain at that point was when in stress, when uh, when angry. And it, what it translated to was not just stress, it was any kind of pain. Already in my personality, which I didn't realize at the time, is I have a tendency to run from pain. Hmm. Um, it, it translates to even how I would build relationships. Um, for a lot of my life, I'd have a very hard time having true in-depth relationships because I'm great at keeping it surface level. But when there would be conflict, when there would be tension points, I'd be like, eh, I can go make another friend. Sure. And it would be easy for me to do. Sure. And I, what I, and what that, it was actually speaking to prior to the addiction was I had a hard time with conflict. I had a hard time with tension point. And so what ended up happening is porn became a way for me to cope with tension. Because the other thing is too, is I'm in marriage. I got married. There's no running from that relationship. I made that vow very, very clear and made that commitment very, very intentionally when my wife and I got married. And so the truth is, is there is no running from that. And so this inability to handle that part of my life is what fueled the addiction. 
while that wasn't my intentional point of why I got into it, it's what it subconsciously ended up meeting that need for me. And so as life goes on, I found myself again with unhealthy patterns of coping with pain. But if I didn't know that, I really couldn't have ever experienced any sort of victory because there was a problem that I had deeply that then manifested itself through an addiction because I did not have the skills, nor did I know how to cope with those problems in life in a healthy manner. What what was once foreign became normal. Mm-hmm. You know, pornography is uh, it's a terrible addiction, and mm-hmm. we find that uh, fightthenewdrug.org. It's a website dedicated to exposing the problems of porn. They said this: that porn can be difficult to quit. Is an escalating behavior. You mentioned that it changes the brain negatively. It contributes to unhealthy cycles of stress. It can deeply hurt your partner or spouse. It negatively affects love and intimacy. It can greatly harm your sex life. Porn can impact mental health and fuel loneliness. Porn distorts understanding of a healthy sex life. It can promote sexual violence and it funds and promotes sex trafficking. Did you know or have any idea that when you watch porn for the first time, that that was the road that it could lead you down? Absolutely not. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, I'm not hurting anybody. I mean, the lie I could believe to myself at the time was like, I'm not hurting anybody. This is just a thing. It's, this is like any other media one would consume for entertainment purposes. Like, who's the real victim? But the truth is, is exactly that. I'm actually very familiar with Fight the New Drug. And there's so many of the things that are shared online pervasively that are not under consent. And you would never know. There's often people under age. There's often, you know, trafficking involved. People like, and you would not know that being the consumer on the outside often. But the thing is, is I've been told of stories of people who end up getting sucked into even deeper, deeper stuff. And it's what happens. It's never like a, I'm born, you're born one day. It's like, Hey, I want to go look at this horribly explicit material. It's always slow compromises with time. And then what you find out is it's actually fueling the industry because the more you consume, you're, you're you're fueling the demand. You're an accomplice. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like people won't sell something if nobody's buying it. Yep. But that's what happens. You get sucked into it, and you end up becoming mm-hmm. a part of the system. But it's also it's one of those things that it changes the way you think. I don't think I've ever hated myself more than when I was looking at pornography. Yeah. Even when I wasn't in the moment, I was after the fact. But my I remember it fueled insecurity on a whole nother level, and it also it shaped you know how I would view women. I remember hating that. I was like, suddenly human beings became objects mm. in your mind and how you even viewed relationships struggled. I know with pornography, it also leads to things like erectile dysfunction. It leads to, because if you get to the point where you're focused on this, you're training your brain to meet the need in that way. Mm. And in that, you actually lose the ability to experience the intimacy the way that God intended because you're training your mind that sex is a thing of consumption, is a product to be consumed by whatever means you deem necessary, as opposed to the oneness that scripture defines it. And in that oneness, there's a completion, there's a sense of uh, there's a sense of service, a caring for your spouse, there's a servant-heartedness. Whereas with the consumption of pornography, it's entirely individualistic. It's entirely self-seeking. And it and that translates to other behaviors in your life as well. You're incredibly familiar with the scriptures. You, you keep mentioning them. You shared with me earlier that you got saved at six. <laughs> How is it that you could be in relationship with Christ for so many years, but yet still find yourself falling into this type of addiction. 
I think it's the trap of shame. Hmm. When you make a mistake, especially when you know it's a mistake, the self-loathing is pretty high. And it tends and depending on how you know how to respond to your own conviction will determine kind of what the outcome of these kind of things are. Um, Jeremy Donovan, who, who spoke at our church uh, a while back, referring to uh, his own addictions, wrestling with drugs, I think he defines it really well. I would love for us to check that out. I'm going to mess it up tonight. There's no reason to make my bed. It's silly. And he looked at me and he said, why are you so angry? In fact, why are you here? And I said, what do you mean? He said, most of the people here come from bad families. You got good parents. Your parents are pastors. He goes, I, I said, how do you know they're good? He goes, they're sending you money. Most people don't get money sent to them. He said, you got good people. And you're sitting here angry, ruining your life with drugs. What's wrong with you? I said, no, no, no. I asked first. Why do you keep telling me you love me? And, and why do I got to make my bed? This is stupid. And he said to me, he said, I tell you I love you because I do. And the reason I love you is because Jesus gave me the ability to, and Jesus loves you more. He said, the reason I tell you to make your bed is because drug addicts don't do anything normal, and it's the first normal thing you can do to start your day. Okay, that makes sense. He said, now my question, why are you so angry? And I don't know why, but in that moment, I really felt the love of Jesus in the room, and I told somebody for the first time. I said, because everybody always questions. I remember as a kid, Christians in the church, what, what are you doing this stuff for? What's wrong with you? Why are you so messed up? And, and here's the thing, man. A lot of times we look at people's behavioral problems. We don't look at the problem that started the problem. You know, Jesus says there's a root that we have to cut. One of the things that he said that I, I just resonated with was he, he would do the drugs, <laughs> right? And, or he experienced the pain, which would lead him to do the drugs, which would make him hate himself that more, which would lead to him to doing more. And that's really what would happen. What happened for me was I, I, would just, I would believe the lie of this is who I am. Whenever I would make the mistake, I would be like, well, here I am. I'm just this, this crappy person. And so that would make me fall into it more. The more I hated myself and the less I shared with others, the more I kept it to myself, the more I tried to fix it myself, the more I would just fall over and over into it. And again, that self-loathing is what fueled it. I, like, I know what the scripture said. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was, and like I said, it creeped into my marriage. And this is the first year of my marriage. I started looking at pornography again, and I hated myself that much more. I was like, how can I do this with my wife? It's like, how can I do this? to the woman I love so much and I'd find myself in it. And that would, and that was one of the things that kept me in the dark mm. for so long too. I was like, I can't, I can't share this with anyone because if I do, they'll see what a, a horrible person I am. I mean, I was in the whole time I was doing it. I was, I was in school for ministry. I was pastoring at a church and I was like, Oh my God, if anybody knew, Oh my God, they would hate me and I'd get ostracized. I'd be cast out. And that is what kept me in the dark. And that's not their fault. It was the lie that I believed that kept me trapped for so long. The longer I thought that I could fix myself, the more I was enslaved to my own sin. There's so many people that are watching right now and they feel that exact way. Mm -hmm. I want you to speak into the freedom piece of this. How did you overcome? What was that moment of victory? What's been the path of victory for you? The, the interesting thing about my addiction journey is that I never got caught hmm. at any point. There was never a moment where it was like, ah, you're found. 
But there was this inevitability of the fact that like, I knew that it would be found out. In Luke 12, uh, 2 through 3, it says, The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, mm. and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and, you have, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. I knew that it was going to come to light. I mean, I knew the stats. I knew that inevitably this was going to lead to my ability to be intimate with my wife. I knew inevitably it was going to shape my behavior and all these things. And I decided for myself, I was like, I need to figure out how to come to this addiction. Like, I need to deal with this on my own terms. I would rather address this wall at this point than let it go to the inevitable end because I could see the writing on the wall. I, I, I saw what the end game of staying in the dark looked like. And I was like, I don't want that. And so I'd made that choice. I was like, I want to bring this to the light because it's going to come to the light inevitably anyway. Why not now before it escalates further? So you exposed um, your sin before you were found out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which was one of the hardest things to do. I don't want to sugarcoat to anybody who's got something they're wrestling with in the dark. In the dark. Exposing it isn't easy. And the whole process afterwards also isn't easy but it's way better yeah. than the other end. The other end is you're enslaved to it and, and God knows how far you end up going before you inevitably get found out. Because what, I, what happened when I revealed it, I was actually at a marriage event with my wife. And one of the things, excuse me, one of the things that um, they talked about was the... Um, was the need for purity in your marriage. And in that need, you have to be willing to fight for what's most important. And in that event, I pulled my wife aside and told her that as like, I had looked at pornography the day before we went to the marriage event. And even though that was nine years ago, to this day, I think back of it as one of the hardest days of my life because of the pain that I could see that had been inflicted. And it wasn't the pain that I inflicted that day by sharing it. A lot, I've talked to many people in addiction, specifically with this one, and they're like, I don't wanna hurt this person by telling them what I did. But the reality is I had already hurt my wife. I had already hurt her countless times by indulging in this. So me exposing it wasn't hurting it. It was bringing to light the pain that I'd already been caused. But if I hadn't done that, I would have never experienced healing. And so that day that I shared with her that I was still secretly struggling with this was the beginning of the healing journey for me. It was the beginning of it. And yes, it was painful because it was unlearning what I had done and bringing to light what I had done in the dark. But I was able to do so on my own terms. One of the things that really helped me experience victory was acknowledging that I've tried to fix myself countless times. Yeah. I tried so many times. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to delete the app or I'm going to do whatever. But I always secretly knew a way to still get access to it on my worst day. Mm -hmm. And what I had to come to the point of was understanding that clearly me betting on myself was not, was not working. <laughs> it didn't work. And so I was reminded of Proverbs 15, 22. It says, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. So one of the biggest things, once I brought my wife into my struggle, was intentionally bringing other people into my struggle as well. 
and being completely transparent of this is how, this is when, this is my avenue, here's what my mindset is when that happens, and asking people for help, yeah. saying, how, how can I overcome this? And so what ended up happening was is I got accountability in my life, but it also took that breaking point on myself. It took me getting to that point of brokenness and realizing, oh my God, this path that I'm on is on is destructive. And then where the and but just knowing that wasn't enough. I had to take the step of letting people and giving people permission to call me out. And it wasn't people that was in the mix of it in the same that I was. It was people that I respected. I remember I told some leaders in our church that I respected greatly. Yeah. And I told them. And they, I remember um, I was uh, I was talking to some of these leaders and they pulled me in a room. They told Danny to step outside and they pulled me into the room and they just drilled me asking, it's like, mm -hmm. what did you watch? How far did it go? And all this. And it wasn't from a shaming mindset. Yeah. It was a, let's shed light on every bit of this. And then what plans do we have in place? How can we do this? So we put in plans. Like I have accountability browsers on every single device that I have. There's not a password that my wife does not um, that my wife does not have. There is, uh, I don't have social media apps on my phone. I use the browser version because I know the browser is always being monitored. And it's, I have filters on all things. And it's one of those deals where if I try to cross certain lines, there's no way, like it, there's a program that'll send an email to my accountability partners. And they're people that I respect. Yeah. That And that's a huge deterrent from, <laughs> from looking at things that I shouldn't. And so I put all of those parameters in place back then. And the thing is, is those measures that I put in place then, I still have to this day because I want to be fortified on my absolute worst day, yeah. on the most stressful, bored, angry, whatever day. I want to make sure that there is no avenue to the thing that held me in captivity for so long. Pastor Matt, I'd love for you to give a few tips uh, for those of us that have a loved one uh, or someone we know that is in addiction on how we can help them? I think understanding the mindset. A lot of times they know the pain they're causing themselves and others, and it's often fueling the addiction. So it's not usually helpful to heap on shame on top of what they're usually feeling. What I, My advice to those who have a loved one with addiction is make sure that you yourself have support because it'll be a roller coaster because it took – like I knew it was wrong when I was struggling with what I was messing with and I knew I needed help, but it took a breaking point within me. Mm. So to have the people available for that moment when that came, that was huge. I had people that I knew had my back. And so if you have a loved one that is wrestling with addiction, have their back. Don't enable them in the addiction. Lovingly be there for them. But understand is like it will be a roller coaster. So you yourself, make sure you have people that you're leaning on and your frustration um, over the time, but be there for them, be that voice of truth and grace in the mix of it, because there will come that point, that breaking point, and they'll need to know you're there to help walk them through it. Yeah, that's powerful. I've never heard someone say to get, in essence, get help yourself, have a community for yourself when you're helping someone else through that process. Uh, it's a tough, tough weight to carry. Yeah. Um, but the more people that you can, the more trustworthy people you can have mm -hmm. in the situation, uh, the further you can go. Absolutely. You've given us some really good insight on what you've done to make sure that you've lived in freedom when it comes to the addiction of pornography. What's some practical ways that other people that are in addiction, what are some things they can do to make sure they get out of that addiction and they walk into freedom? 
Well, they need to ask themselves hard questions of is really kind of get to that root. Like, why am I doing this? What what am I what are my triggers? Be very candid. Who are the people that I tend to do this around? What are the environments where I tend to fail? Where are the scenarios? And put roadblocks in place now. Those roadblocks can include, you know, giving access to your money to somebody else or making it to where like giving your location, making your location available to a, to somebody that you trust that'll know if you're wandering somewhere you shouldn't be. It's really, it's shed as much light as possible to the areas where there is darkness, where you are likely to fall into this addiction, put light there make it to where it would be impossible for you to do it without somebody finding out immediately. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build as many deterrents as possible. Scripture tells us to run from temptation, not man up and face temptation, run from it. So you want to set up roadblocks for your worst possible day, whatever. Imagine the perfect storm that you tend to fall into your addiction with. Put every roadblock in place now while you're sober in mind so that you can't on your worst day. That's so good because most people want to fight it themselves. Yeah, I got into it, I can get out of it. Or wait till the moment of temptation to be like, all right, I hope I have the willpower this time. You're lying to yourself. Yeah. Put the roadblocks in place, whatever that may be, shine light, bring people into it, make it incredibly inconvenient for you to fall into that so that you protect yourself. I mean, I remember I felt like an animal in a cage on the days where I wanted to go look at pornography and I had cut off all my access, but it's because I was unlearning I had to unlearn how to cope with whatever it was I was messing with. Yeah. Pastor Matt, it's amazing to hear your story of victory. And here at the Block Church, we believe that addiction doesn't have to define you and doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. That through the power of Christ, we can overcome. Mm -hmm. And you have overcome. You're living in freedom. Uh, One of the best things I heard you say is high levels of accountability Mm -hmm. that you put in place. You came out of the darkness into the light. And now you get to live in victory and you have a team of people around you who are walking the journey with you. And here at the Block Church, that's what we do. We walk with our community and we help people overcome. And if you're watching today and you're struggling with addiction, know that we are here for you. There Mm -hmm. is someone to talk to. We want you to come out of the darkness into the light and reach out to someone here at the Block Church. You can comment live in the chat. You can direct message uh, the Block Church, and we will give you resources. We have plenty of them to help you in your journey. I want to encourage you to share this video with somebody that you know that may be struggling with addiction because we believe there is ultimate freedom in Christ. Let me pray over you today. Jesus, I thank you so much for every person that tuned in today and every person that's watching right now. God, I pray for a spirit of freedom to overcome them. God, that you would be with them in this journey. Holy Spirit, you can do it. And we pray for the power to overcome and be victorious. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially wanna thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.